Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. (laughs) Good morning again. Uh, I spoke with Mike Syme Saturday morning, had a phone call with him, and he's home now, which is fantastic, and he actually quoted that passage that we sang about today. I think it's Zephaniah, I can't remember, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi, it's one of those prophets of the Old Testament that talks about the sun will rise with healing in its wings, and he quoted that again and said he was praying for God to come over their home with healing in his wings, and so uh, you can join with them in praying that, that would be fantastic. Well, I'm Greg Clark. I'm the, the lead pastor here and excited to be with you today. The way it, it worked out um, is that uh, Pastor Nate was going to be preaching, the, I think, the first Sunday, maybe, of, of the new year, and, or second Sunday of the new year, and then he was um, delayed, uh, had an extra two weeks of vacation uh, there in uh, Mexico. Um, and so I preached for him. And then he took my spot. So it means I haven't preached now for three weeks, which is crazy. And so I, I, uh, hopefully I'm not rusty. We'll see how that works out. But today is a good day, isn't it? It's a good day. Well, here's a fun story. Uh, back in 2006, a man by the name of Guy Cuny was interviewed by the BBC News. Now, Guy Cuny was a tech expert and the editor of a, of a popular tech website, and he was there to respond uh, to a court case that was going on between Apple uh, computers and the Beatles record label. Uh, it was all in the midst of all of those music streaming battles that were happening, and, and Guy Cuny was coming in as the expert in this area. The only problem was that the man who the BBC interviewed was not, in fact, expert Guy Cuny. He was actually a guy by the name of Guy Goma. Here's what happened. Both the real Guy Cuny and Guy Goma were present in separate waiting rooms at the BBC. Guy Cuny was awaiting his live TV interview. Guy Goma was awaiting his live job interview. Guy Goma was a Congolese business school graduate hoping to land an entry-level job at the BBC. When the person in charge of getting Guy Cuny ready for his live interview came into the wrong waiting room, they asked Guy Goma, are you ready for your interview and is your name Guy? Of course, he answered, yes, I'm very ready for my interview and my name is Guy. Let's go. So Guy Goma was sent to makeup, he was mic'd up, and he was put on live TV. The interviewer then introduced Guy Goma as Guy Cuny, and immediately, if you watch this video later, it's fantastic, you can see that Guy Goma realizes this is not a job interview, this is something completely different, he was in the wrong place, and he was not the right person. So he actually does a a good job of answering the questions. You can tell he sort of knows a little bit about what's going on, but not exactly what he's talking about. And he's surprised, and he's breathing heavily. It's just a fantastic, cute moment. So you can Google Guy Goma later on and find out more about this. But can you imagine going on live TV and having the person introduce you as a totally different person? 
And here today with me, we have an expert in their field who is amazing and wonderful and blah, blah, blah. And there you are smiling, having no idea what they're talking about. What would you do? Like, would, you, would, you, would you play along? Like Guy Goma does a great job. He just kind of answers the questions. At one point, they ask him, were you surprised by this announcement? And he goes, yes, I was very surprised. <laughs> it's just fantastic. It's wonderful. Would you, would you out yourself right away? I mean, I wonder if you would have just said, I'm sorry, I'm the wrong person. This is not, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, what if it was Jesus who was introducing you and saying things about you that you knew were not true at all? So this actually happened, or, or will happen, a little bit differently though, but still, let's look at this ba- passage really briefly. In Matthew chapter 25, there is this moment where Jesus, the king, at the end time, so it's a time to come yet, he's separating the nations into two groups. On one side, it's the goats, and one side is the sheep. And Jesus says to the sheep, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Now, at that very moment, the sheep look around them and wonder, what's going on? I've never seen Jesus hungry. I've never seen him naked. I've never seen him in prison. I've not done these things. Can you imagine being in that type of a situation, looking around thinking, oh no, Jesus has the wrong person. Now, there's more to this story, but for that, we need to take a little bit of a larger look. We're in the middle of our Be Like Jesus series, and today we're looking at two different passages. The, the second one we're going to look at is this Matthew 25 passage about the sheep and the goats. The first one we're going to take a look at, though, is Luke chapter 10, which speaks about the Good Samaritan. So, our Luke passage. Now, this passage is very well known. Even by non-churched people, we have things, uh, in the States anyways, called the Good Samaritan Law. I think we might have those up here as well. And people generally know the Good Samaritan story, even if you know nothing about the Bible. But here's the story out of Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? The expert in the law replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. 
The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, the first thing you should notice here is the beginning question in this whole story. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I want to take you on a little bit of an aside here. This is a tiny rabbit trail. The fact that Jesus doesn't answer with the common answer, believe in me, Jesus, and you shall be saved. Because that's all through scripture, right? What must I do to be saved? Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ. Repent, be baptized, follow him. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So this man asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus doesn't answer, believe in me and be saved. But we know that Jesus believes this. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's many other uh, examples throughout Scripture that Jesus points to himself as the way to salvation, and others point to Jesus as the way to salvation. It's clear. To inherit eternal life, we must trust in Jesus. And we understand the answer Jesus that, that's given here in Luke is to love God. Love God and love others. That's the answer that's given. It's in Matthew and Mark as well, that's the answer that's given. Love God and love others. And we understand that this points us to Jesus because Jesus is God. So we understand that this is pointing us to Jesus. But it's not explicit. It's not a big deal. I just want to make sure that you understand that to inherit eternal life, we do actually need to trust in Jesus. But in this story, Jesus is trying to teach something a little bit different. It's not specifically a way of salvation, but it is something about the way that saved people behave. What must I do to inherit eternal life? We know you must trust in Jesus, but trusting in Jesus is active, which is what this passage is all about. So back to our story and the answer that's given by the expert in the law. Here's what the expert in the law answers. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this passage is quoted in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three books. In Matthew and Mark, Jesus is the one that gives the answer. When he's asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gives this answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, He gives the answer. But in this version, in Luke's version, it's the expert in the law who gives the answer. Now, I would imagine that's fine. This is not a contradiction in any way. I'd imagine that this question comes up all the time with Jesus. People constantly asking Jesus, Hey, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In fact, we see this in other places in the scripture of other people asking, What must I do to be saved? And I bet Jesus answered this question a hundred times to people. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are recording perhaps different occasions where this answer comes. So in this version here, the expert in the law answers his own question. And here in Luke, we get a little something extra that is not recorded in Matthew and Mark. Because the expert in the law goes on to ask a second question. And who is my neighbor. So Jesus tells a story. 
There's a man traveling who is set upon by robbers. They strip him, beat him, and leave him half dead laying on the road. The first person who comes by him is a priest who passes by without helping. Now, a priest would be concerned with ceremonial cleanliness. If the, if the priest touched the man in the law, if a priest touches the man and he's dead, not just half dead, but fully dead, the priest would become ceremonially unclean. And he would have to go into a period of isolation. He would not be allowed to go to work. Kind of like a COVID isolation dealio. For several days, he would have to be on his own, isolated. So the priest decides his job is very important. He's going to minister before the Lord and minister to the nation. So he gives no help to the man in need, fearing becoming ceremonially unclean. The second person to come by is a Levite. Now, a Levite belongs to the tribe of Levi. They were the ones that were specifically given the task of working in the temple. Out of all the tribes, the Levites were meant to be in the temple, helping to serve, the, serve God and serve the people. They worked side by side with the priests. So he, too, would be very concerned with ceremonial cleanliness. And so he passes by without doing anything as well. Now, all throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus and the religious elite have been at odds. The people that come to speak to Jesus, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those that are the religious elite, they always seem to have a bone to pick with Jesus. And Jesus actually saves some of his harshest words for those who are the religious elite. So as Jesus tells this story, likely people would have seen a theme beginning to build. First, it's a priest who won't help the man. Then it's a Levite. He won't even help the man. So the expectation in the story here for the people listening is that now Jesus is going to bring a regular Jewish person into the picture. A normal Jewish guy comes walking by, sees his brother on the side of the road, and helps him. And then this story would be a scathing report against the religious elite. And everybody in the crowd would, would clap and say, yes, we hate those religious people too. It'd be fantastic. But that's not what happens. Jesus goes in a totally different direction here, and it's shocking. It's shocking what happens. Some background for you. The Jewish people were a proud people, and they knew deep into their bones that they were God's chosen people, his only chosen people. Now, as a nation, you were either Jewish, God's only chosen people, or you were other. The whole of the rest of the world was other. Alien, foreign, Gentiles was the official term. Dogs was the acceptable term. To the Jewish people, everyone other than them were rubbish. There was one exception, the Samaritans. Here's the exception. See, Samaritans were half-breeds, half-Jewish, half-something else. They only followed the first five books of the Old Testament, and those books were a little bit different than the Jewish Pentateuch. Theologically, they were very different from the Jewish people. They, they worshipped and called holy another place other than Jerusalem. They were very different than the Jews. And to the Jewish people, there were the Jews, God's only chosen people, the Gentile dogs. So the, the Jews were kind of here. The Gentile dogs were kind of here. And then way down, kind of like down here, just above dirt or perhaps even lower than dirt, were the Samaritans. 
like the worst of the worst, even worse than the Romans, were the Samaritans. It cannot be overstated that the Jewish people disliked the Samaritans. So Jesus is being incredibly audacious here when he introduces the hero of the story. Along comes the hero, a Samaritan. The one who sees the man, has compassion on him, bandages his wounds, takes him to an inn, and pays for his lengthy stay. Then after this shocking turn where Jesus introduces the Samaritan hero, Jesus faces the expert, and this is their exchange. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What do you notice about the answer that the expert gives? Do you notice something about the way that he answers this question? He does not say Samaritan. He doesn't say the Samaritan, even though it is obvious that it's the Samaritan who is the good neighbor. He just says the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says to the Jewish expert in the law, go and do likewise. Basically, be like the Samaritan. Be like the Samaritan. Because the Samaritan loved his neighbor, his Jewish neighbor, who was very different from himself. The Samaritan loved him as himself. Now, the expert on the law would have known this. He, he, he actually quoted this. What's the, what, what do you need to do to inherit eternal life? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, over and over again, the law, in the law, God commands the Jewish people to love people who are not like them. And there are a lot of commandments in the Old Testament that warn the Jewish people to be careful about connecting with people outside of the nation of Israel. Again and again, they, they, the, the, the law says, uh, you know, don't intermarry, don't, don't, don't do this kind of stuff with people that are outside of the nation of Israel. And the, the reason for that is because God knew that the Jewish people were quick to go astray. But even in the midst of that problem of being quick to go astray, again and again, God commanded the Jewish people to be hospitable, to love the outsiders, the aliens, the foreigners, the non-Jewish peoples. One such occurrence is in Leviticus 19. Now, we've been in Leviticus 19 a lot. I don't know if you've noticed in the last several weeks, we've been bringing up Leviticus 18, 19, 20. We've been bringing up these passages a lot. Leviticus, um, this is just an aside, but oftentimes when people read through the Bible, they're like, oh no, I'm stuck in Leviticus. Oh my goodness, Leviticus is one of the best books of the entire Bible. It's phenomenal. If you've not read it recently, read it again through the eyes of Jesus Christ, okay? Because here's what's in Leviticus. Leviticus 19, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself. Isn't that interesting wording? Isn't that interesting wording? Love them as yourself. I think this is where this passage comes from. Love your neighbor as yourself. Even when your neighbor is someone who is very much unlike you. 
How important do you think this loving your neighbor thing is to Jesus? Let's look at our other passage, Matthew 25. Now, for background purposes, Matthew chapters 24 and 25 uh, begin with the disciples asking Jesus a question. Matthew 24, 3. What will be the sign of your coming? End of the end of the age. Matthew 24 and 25 are known as eschatological passages. It means that they speak of the end times. Jesus teaches really well in Matthew 24 and 25 about what is to come. What is going to happen at the end times? And in this passage in Matthew chapter 25, this is not a parable, but a description of the end time. And I'm not going to read the whole passage for you. You can read that later. But earlier in our introduction, I shared with you that Jesus, the king, is on his throne at the end of days. And he has separated the nations into two groups, the sheep and the goats. And Jesus says to the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And here's how the sheep respond. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to eat? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? It's going to be a strange moment, don't you think? Kind of like Guy Goma being interviewed on live TV. The sheep standing there wondering if they're in the wrong group. And maybe nobody wanting to speak up because they're looking around thinking, I bet everybody else has done this. Everybody else helped Jesus out. And I don't even remember seeing him in need. I don't remember giving Jesus any water or food or even visiting him in prison. I would have visited you, Jesus, if I had known you were locked up, but I didn't even know. There might be a moment of awkwardness thinking that Jesus has mixed you up with the wrong crew. But then Jesus says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Oh, now I get it. Now I get it. When I fed that person down at the soup kitchen, I was feeding Jesus. When I was kind to that stranger, I was being kind to Jesus. When I took time to listen to that mom's story, I was listening to Jesus Whatever I did for one of the least of these, I did for Jesus. Now, there's another side to this, and I'll just mention it briefly, but this passage goes on. Here's the other side. Jesus has this same kind of interaction with the goats, but this time, Jesus says, you, you didn't feed me. You didn't clothe me. You didn't visit me in prison. And the goats are also so shocked we didn't even know you were hungry, Jesus. At the very least, we would have sent you some Uber Eats or something like that. If we had known, Jesus, that you were hungry. But Jesus tells them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. 
I mean, how awful at the end of days to find out that an opportunity to feed Jesus was missed. Now, one thing I need to state here again, salvation is received by faith in Jesus Christ alone, not by our works, not by our service, not by feeding the hungry or visiting prisoners, or even by loving our neighbor. Salvation is received by faith in Jesus Christ alone. But it is simply incomprehensible that a person who is saved by Christ will not have a lifestyle that is marked by loving their neighbor, feeding the hungry, and visiting prisoners. Jesus said that the world would know that we are his disciples by how we love one another. Jesus said that to inherit eternal life, we must love God and love our neighbor as ourselves, even our very different very strange, very theologically different neighbor. Even our neighbors who are anti-vaxxers and fly funny flags on their trucks. Even our neighbors who have limited their social circles and won't go anywhere without a mask. Even our neighbors who vote differently than us. Even our neighbors from other countries. Even our neighbors from different religions. Jesus does not put a limit on who our neighbors are. In fact, Jesus specifically picks out a story about a Jewish man who is loved by a Samaritan. Jesus talks about a story where a Jewish man is loved by a Samaritan in order to drive home the point that your neighbor is going to be someone who is very, very, very different than you. And by loving your neighbor who is very, very, very different than you, you love Jesus. Are you loving your neighbor and the least of these as much as you love Jesus? You know, I was struck uh, just as we were singing this morning. Um, We often talk about how the world will not know who Jesus is unless we live like Jesus. And that's what our whole series is right now, is be like Jesus, right? We need to live like Jesus so the world will see who Jesus is. But perhaps we will not know who Jesus is until we look out the world and see Jesus out there on the streets. Jesus in the soup kitchen. Jesus in the rehab center. Perhaps we will not understand who Jesus is until we love people like we would love Jesus. A few years ago, I was in Mexico City with our youth group, and we went to an orphanage for uh, children with special needs. And we all spread out around the orphanage, and, and, and some of us were painting walls, and some of us were playing with some of the kids and stuff like that. And um, one of the places I went to was the nursery, where they, they had the babies. And uh, we got to go, and, and the big job for people was just hold babies. Just hold babies and let them feel love. Let them feel a person's heartbeat and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and so we went to, to hold some of the babies, and I was introduced uh, to a baby named Jesus. He was actually about two or three years old, um, but he had significant special needs and was never going to um, mature past the, the, the brain capacity of a baby. And so he's a pretty large baby, but acted just like a baby. And I got to hold Jesus 
and rock him just like a little baby. And while I was holding Jesus, I sang to him and rocked him and, and loved him. And in return, Jesus peed all over me. <laughs> and it was in that moment, it was in that moment where Jesus spoke to me. Jesus, which is Mexican for Jesus, was in my arms. I was loving Jesus by loving Jesus. Someone who could not return anything to me whatsoever. Love God. Love your neighbor. Even your very, very, very different neighbor. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for Jesus. Now, even though this is our Be Like Jesus series, where we look at, at what Jesus did and, and then try to be like Jesus and do the same thing, neither of these passages told us about what Jesus did, how he treated people. Rather, in this passage in Matthew 25, the script is flipped on its head, and Jesus says, the way you treat the least of these is the way you treat me. So take a moment today to answer this question. What can I do? What can I do today? What can I do this week? What can I do this month to love my neighbor and love the least of these the way that I would love Jesus? While you're thinking about that, why don't you stand and we'll sing our closing song. Today is beginning our week of prayer and fasting. This is what the prayer and fasting guides look like. They're on the church app. If you need to find out how to get on the church app, call Pastor Amy. She loves telling people how to do that. Uh, it's also a couple of copies in the foyer if you want a paper copy. But I wonder as we respond to what what God is speaking today. There's more than just out of the sermon. Even as we were entering into worship this morning, there were three things that came together for me that I think that this week of prayer and fasting, for me, this is what this week of prayer and fasting is about. I don't know what it is about for you. But I know there's something in me that needs to be crucified. Something in me that doesn't belong. So this week as I, as I pray and fast, I'm going to be asking, Lord, crucify in me what shouldn't be there. There's something not in me that should be there. Lord, would you birth and speak life over something in me that needs to be in there? Lord, what are you doing now today? What needs to be birthed in me and given life? And the last thing, Lord, how would you have me respond? How would you have me respond to loving other people like I would love you? How would you have me respond to loving other people how I'd love you? And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, if this is, if this is at all true with anyone else, Lord, I know it's true certainly of us as a body. What is there in us, Lord, your body, 
which needs to be crucified? What are we hanging on to? What have we partnered with that needs to be taken to the cross? What do we need to break agreement with? I just, Lord, as you speak to your people, we just lean into you crucifying in us what needs to be gone. What needs to be birthed, Lord? What needs to be given life? What needs to be grown? Lord, we lean into you as you breathe life into us in areas that maybe have gone dark. And Lord, how do we respond to loving our neighbor as we love you? We love you, Jesus. I bless you, church, to hear this week as you press into prayer and fasting to hear this week from Holy Spirit as he draws you to the face of Jesus and as Jesus reveals to you the love of our Heavenly Father. I bless you with peace and ears that hear, eyes that see, a mind that comprehends, and a heart that is a fleshly heart that, that, beats, that beats alive in rhythm with the heart of Jesus. In Jesus Christ's powerful name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.